Welcome to Foundation Christian Church. We're glad that you're joining us for today's message. For service times or to join a disciple group, please visit foundationcitrusheights.com. Well, I am Emily, uh, Pastor Greg's wife, and he is um, still recovering from his last, last and final cycle of chemo, but he is doing overall very well. And we thank you for uh, your prayers as he transitions to radiation treatment this week. But he will be back at the pulpit, Lord willing, next week um, and for the foreseeable future. So um, I want to introduce our guest preacher today. Um, We have Jeff Mahan, who was our first guest preacher um, a couple months ago. Um, And so he's back. We didn't scare him away. (laughs) Um, We're excited to have him. Jeff and Greg met, uh, I calculated about 20 years ago or so, um, both serving uh, Jeff first in youth ministry as a youth pastor and Greg as well. And they went on and um, both planted churches. And Jeff has been a great support and mentor in ministry to Greg over the last couple of decades. And so it's an honor to have you back, Jeff. Um, and to bring the word, we look forward to hearing from you this morning. I think that's the first time somebody said that I've been serving it for decades. I've crossed the 50 threshold. Oh, no. So, uh, okay. Actually, I knew Greg when he was in G- a freshman high school, I think. I took him to summer camp. And, um, yeah. Okay, a long time ago. Well, guys, I'm surprised you had me back. But thank you. Um, I, I, I used to be a pastor for like 20-some years. And, um, and now I'm not, and I'm kind of surprised I'm speaking again. So who knows? This could be my last message ever, so let's go for it, okay? And so we might be here a long time. Pizza's on the way. No rush. So, uh, no. Hey, so I'm, I'm excited to be here today. And um, during the week, do you guys, does anybody procrastinate? Okay, I'm a professional procrastinator, and, um, and I, I put stuff off, I put stuff off until the anxiety of doing it is actually less than the anxiety of waiting to do it, right? And, um, and I'll be honest, I procrastinated my message. I knew what I wanted to talk about. I'll say this, as a pastor, preparing messages was just a lot of work. And um, it was really kind of emotionally taxing on me. And um, people asked me why, and... You know, I, I speak a lot. I, I teach at this college right now also. And, um, but Scripture tells me that I'm held accountable for what I say when I'm preaching, not when I'm just talking to my friends at Starbucks, right? And so it's kind of an agonizing process. But anyways, today we're going to be in 1 Kings um, chapters 18 and 19. And so I was told you guys use the NLT. So I'm going to preach out of the NLT for the first time in my life. And um, so... Um, so we're going to go from there. So we're going to have, here's the plan. We're going to talk about the tale of two mountains, not the tale of two cities, not the Twin Towers from Lord of the Rings, which is an awesome movie, but we're going to talk about the tale of two mountains. And so here's the plan. We're going to talk about one mountain. And then we're going to talk a little bit about psychology because that's my other field, but it totally applies to the passage. And then we're going to talk about another mountain experience. Okay, that's the game plan. So here we go. So we're going to be in um, chapter 18, and here's the background to the story, and background's always really important. A couple years prior, God told Elijah to tell the king and the people that there's going to be no rain, okay? And so he says there's going to be no rain, 
and it's been three years without rain. Could you imagine how popular Elijah is right now? Okay, so we've been kind of going through a little bit of a drought in our area until this past two weeks, but the past couple of seasons have been kind of dry. If we could blame that on one person, he would be really unpopular in the state of California right now, wouldn't he? Okay, and that person is Elijah in this story, okay? So he had, um, he had prophesied there's going to be no rain, there had been no rain, and the king is really upset, okay? In fact, it says here in the text that the king had actually basically had a manhunt to find Elijah, and Elijah kept disappearing, and so the king is mad, and the king's wife, his name's Jezebel, um, she is not a fan of Elijah at all, okay? And uh, so Elijah is on, we'll say, God's side, in the Old Testament we'd say Yahweh, okay? That'd be his name there, and then Jezebel, the queen, she kind of supported the Baal prophets and the, um, oh, what's the other group? Thank you. Say it again. There we go. He supports that. She supports both of those groups, okay? And um, so here we go. Elijah, God tells Elijah that he's going to bring rain. So Elijah's going to make that announcement. And so in this announcement, he challenges the people. He, challenges, he meets Ahab. He says, hey, Ahab, it's going to start raining. Bring the prophets of Baal and, gosh, Asherah. I have this in my notes. I can't even say it today. So um, bring, these, bring the prophets up to um, Mount Carmel, and we're going to have a contest. And it says this in um, verse 16. So Obadiah went to tell Ahab, and Elijah had come, and Ahab went out to meet Elijah. And Ahab saw, and he exclaimed, So it's really you, you troublemaker of Israel. I have made no trouble for Israel, Elijah replied. This reminds me of my boys, by the way. He started it, right? You're a troublemaker. I'm not a troublemaker. And he goes on and says, you and your family are the troublemakers. For you have refused to obey the commands of the Lord and have worshipped the images of Baal instead. So now summon all Israel to join me at Mount Carmel, along with the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who were supported by Jezebel. So he's challenging them to a contest, okay? And so Ahab has been blaming Elijah and back and forth, right? And the people are not happy with Elijah because it's been in a drought for three years, no rain. It's really hard to live without water, right? And so, 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 uh, so they're going to have this contest. And as, as a kid, when I read this story, I love this, okay? I like contests. I like finding out who's the better one, who wins the game, who's right, who's wrong. It's really crystal clear, can anybody relate to that? Like, you know, we, we just had an election, right? We had like, this hope that something's going to happen, right? And so we have this, this contest here, and we're going to find out who's the real God. It's pretty exciting, right? And so we, it brings clarity to this, okay? So here's what happens. So verse 20, it says this. So Ahab summoned all the people of Israel and the prophets of Mount Carmel. Then Elijah stood in front of them and said, How much longer will you waver, hobbling between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. If Baal is God, follow him. But the people were completely silent. They didn't want to take a side. So they prepared one of the bulls and placed it on the altar. Then they called on the name of Baal from morning until noontime, shouting, O Baal, answer us. But there was no reply of any kind. Then they danced, hobbling around the altar they had made. At noontime, Elijah began mocking them. Okay, so... I'm not sure this is the greatest thing, but it's kind of funny, and I could see myself doing it too, right? So these guys are praying, asking Baal to come down and cause fire on the altar, but it doesn't happen. And he says, hey, guys, maybe you should shout louder. Or, for, you know, for surely he is a god. Perhaps he's just daydreaming. 
maybe your God's daydreaming, right? Or he even says, maybe your God is relieving himself. So maybe Baal's in the bathroom, right? Or maybe he's away on a trip. And so he's mocking them, okay? In front of all these people, the nation of Israel is watching this, and Elijah's having a little fun, right? He's like, hey, maybe you need to be louder. You can wake him up. So they shout louder, and they follow the normal custom, and they start cutting themselves with knives and swords. And so they start, you know, they start, blood starts coming out of their bodies. And it says here, they raved all afternoon until the time of the evening sacrifice. But still there was no sound, no reply, no response. Okay? And then it says this. Now it's Elijah's move. Okay? Then Elijah called the people, come over here. They all crowded around him as he repaired the altar. This is verse 30 that had been torn down. And he took 12 stones, one to represent each of the tribes of Israel. And he used the stones to rebuild the temple in the name of the Lord. Then he dug a trench around the altar large enough to hold about three gallons of water. He piled wood on the altar, cut the bull into pieces, and laid the pieces, of the, laid the pieces on the wood. Then he said, fill large jars with water and pour the water over the offering and the wood. Now, I'm not an expert, but I understand when I barbecue, I don't add water to my barbecue, right? So he's making this extra hard for God to pull off this miracle, right? So he's adding water to it. And after this, they'd done this. He said, do the same thing again. And when they were finished, he said, do it a third time. And so enough water was on this altar that it began to run into the trench they had dug. Now, these next verses are important. I didn't notice this before, but I want you to let's look at the next verses and kind of see what's behind Elijah's challenge. At, and it says, verse 36, at the usual time for offering the evening sacrifice, Elijah the prophet walked up to the altar and prayed. And listen to his prayer. O Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, prove today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant. Prove that I have done all this at your command. O Lord, answer me, answer me so these people will know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have brought them back to yourself. There was four points in there that he's asking for that in this miracle. He wants people to prove that Yahweh is the God in Israel. It's not the Baal guys, not Asherah, it's Yahweh. He also wants us to prove that he is God's servant. He's important. I didn't notice that as a kid, okay? But he wants the people to realize, hey, Elijah is God's servant. And that Elijah had been following the directions all along. This whole drought that he was, getting, he was being blamed for and they're like upset at him. He wanted this to show up and people to go, hey, Elijah was right. He is God's servant, okay? He's not a bad guy. He was doing what God wants. And then the fourth thing is God is bringing the people back to him. Has there been a time where you've wanted some like display that people would see that would show that you were in the right? Yeah. Sometimes I would just like somebody to go, Jeff is right. Okay, that's why I got married. Did that happen to you? Right, babe? So, no, okay, so um, that's not why I got married. But, um, but somebody wanted, he liked wanted people to know he was right. He was like the enemy. He was the villain at this time because he had caused like this drought. And he's like, God, I, need, I want you to show up here and tell, show people that you are God and that I am your servant and I've been following your directions and that you're going to use this to bring people back to him. I'll never forget 
when I was at my old church a number of years ago, I was going through a really difficult time in my life. And I think there were some people kind of maybe doubting me. And it was a tough time. And I had just finished preaching. I sat down. And I'll never forget this old lady, Nancy Stack, stood up. Okay, and Nancy Stacks, I don't know if you guys know her, but she had a reputation in my community, okay? So I come from a Southern Baptist church, okay? And, um, and she is well-known in those circles. And she just stood up in my church. No microphone, no announcement. It wasn't even allowed. She just stood up. And she was like the E.F. Hutton, okay? And that commercial was many years ago. When E.F. Hutton speaks, people listen. It's like, this other room doesn't even hear that, okay? But, uh, but we know who E.F. Hutton is over here, right? And uh, so when E.F. Hutton speaks, people listen. Well, Nancy Stack speaks. Trust me, everybody listened. And she just stood up. And she goes, I just want you to know that I am so proud of Jeff and his boys. I'm like, my gosh, that felt so good, so amazing to have somebody finally go, he's not a bad guy. He's a good guy. And this is what Elijah's asking for. Yes, he, he, there's like, he wants people that Yahweh is God, but he also wants them to know that he's his servant and that he had been following his directions and God is bringing the people back to him. And then here's what happens. Immediately the fire of the Lord flashed down from heaven and burned up the young bull, the wood, the stones, and the dust, and even took the water out. Verse 39, and when all the people saw it, they fell face down on the ground and cried out, the Lord, he is God. Yes, the Lord is God. And then as the custom, then Elijah commanded, seize all the prophets of Baal, don't let a single one escape. So the people seized them all. Elijah took them down to the Kishon Valley and he killed them there. Okay, we had like a, we had like a revolt. Okay, and at this, at this picture here, you're like, this is an amazing story. God wins. Everybody knows who God is. It's not the Baal. It's not Asherah. It is Yahweh and Elijah's his prophet. And honestly, if the story stops here, if, if I, I'll be honest, you guys, if I could call fire down from heaven, I'd have an ego so big, okay? I'd be like, watch this, guys. This barbecue. Bam, you know? And, and Elijah's able to call down fire from heaven. Maybe this pivotal moment. It's like, it's like winning the Super Bowl of the deities, Okay, everybody knows who wins. That's Mount Carmel. It's like this amazing, exciting story that I learned in Sunday school with flannel graph. And it was, God wins, everybody knows. But something happens after that. Okay, something happens after that. Okay, let me turn the page here. Actually, a little, a little aside here. After that, Elijah goes up to the same mountain and he prays and he asks God to bring the rain. He prays, I think, seven times. A cloud forms. Rain comes down. Famine's over. The drought's over. You would think at this point in time that Elijah would be feeling really good, wouldn't you? If you guys could call fire down from heaven, everybody knows that you were God's guy and God wins, would you be excited? I think we'd be excited. But here's what happens. Ahab goes home to his wife, and he complains. He tells Jezebel that he killed, Elijah killed all your prophets, and Jezebel is not happy. Um, she doesn't seem like a friendly person to hang out with, and she's mad, and she decides that she's going to kill Elijah. She says, I will have him killed by the end of the day tomorrow. 
Now, here's the context. They've been chasing after Elijah for three years. They couldn't find him. Elijah just called down, called down fire from heaven. I'm thinking Elijah's like, hey, I'm going to call down some fire in her house. Right? Like, I, feel, I could feel protected. I'm safe. God is on my side. But here's what happens. Verse 3 says this. Elijah was afraid and fled for his life. He went to Beersheba, a town in Judah, which he was the, he was in Israel. He went south into, into Judah, and he left his servant there. Then he went on alone into the wilderness, traveling all day. He sat down under a solitary broom, a broom tree, and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life, for I am no better than my ancestors who have already died. Isn't that kind of strange? Okay. You know, if if we were reading the Bible a chapter a day, we may miss the significance of this, right? But right after this massive, exciting, motivating event, Elijah is scared, he's afraid, and honestly, he's depressed. Okay? Honestly, he's depressed. Okay, so here's what I want you to notice this, you guys. This is a really important note for today. After our highest highs are when we are most vulnerable. After our highest highs are when we are most vulnerable. I remember coming back from mission trips so excited about God. My students were so excited about God. And right after mission trip, almost every year, one of my teenagers would do something totally ridiculous out of their character, they would make a huge mistake, okay? And so after our highest highs is when we're most vulnerable, and Elijah, this amazing prophet of God who had just called down fire from heaven, had prayed for there to be rain, and rain showed up, two things I've never been able to do, he's able to pull these off, and he is scared for his life, and he becomes depressed, Here's three possible reasons why we're vulnerable. One, we could become self-confident. Okay? Pride goes before a fall. I've experienced this. Okay? Where after something amazing happens, I'm like, okay, God, I can take it from here. Thank you very much. I got this next step. Okay? And I wouldn't actually verbally say that out loud usually, but in my head, I'm sure you guys have been there too, where like God helps you out, and now you feel like I've got the next step. This is an easy one, God. I can do this on my own. And this happens. Okay? Sometimes maybe we just get a little complacent after the big spiritual battle. They get a little complacent. You know, our, our guard is down. And so we get a little complacent. But here's something else I've learned We're just physically tired. We are just worn out, physically tired. Spiritual battles, mountain high experiences are exhausting. The amount of adrenaline in our body that is released during those moments, we come crashing down afterwards, okay? And we don't know what happened exactly to Elijah, but here's what we do know. He sounds depressed, okay? It says here, it says here, this is the psychology part, okay? It says here that he, he is scared and he's going south, getting away from Ahab and Jezebel. And it says he leaves his servant behind. I don't know if you guys noticed this, but when we get depressed, one of the first things we do is we isolate. 
We stay in our bed. We don't want to talk to anybody. We're like, we stop hanging out with our friends. We don't go to coffee with our friends anymore. We isolate, and he isolates, right? And then it says here, um, it says he's lost hope. He wants to die. Um, his self-worth is lower. He's like, you know, I haven't made a difference. See, he had this hope that after this huge display, the whole nation would, would have a revival and follow Yahweh. It doesn't happen. Okay, later on in the chapter, we hear this. As Elijah's talking to God later, he explains it like this. I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you, torn down your altars, and killed every one of your prophets. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. What is he saying? My effort was in vain. I'm helpless, I'm powerless to change my people, and I'm alone. Okay, so isolation, low self-worth identity, losing hope, wanting to die, feeling alone. These are all symptoms of depression, okay? Um, So I want to go back a few verses and see what God does, okay? So we had the first mountain experience, and right now we're in this middle phase before the next mountain, and let's see what God does. In verse 7, it says this, Then the angel Lord came again and touched him, and said, get up and eat some more, or the, or the, journey, will be ahead, or the journey ahead will be too much for you. So, so Elijah goes down south, and he sleeps, and an angel Lord wakes him up and feeds him. And actually, he wakes up, feeds him. Elijah goes back to bed. <laughs> the angel Lord wakes up again and says, eat some more, because we're going to have this long journey. And then in verse 8, it says this. So he got up and ate and drank, and the food gave him enough strength to travel 40 days and 40 nights to Mount Sinai, the mountain of God. There he came to a cave where he spent the night. So I did a little research. He's about a 200-mile journey. It's a long walk. 40 days. On average, he has to walk about five miles a day. That doesn't take very long, does it? Okay, depending on how old we are, how in shape we are, okay, but five miles is not a really long walk. I can, um, I can run five miles, well... Let me back up. Four years ago, I could run five miles in about uh, 45 minutes. Um, right now, I'm only at three miles. But so basically, Elijah's taking 40 days, walking five miles a day to get to Mount Sinai. So let's say he's walking two hours a day, maybe three hours a day, which also means he's got a lot of downtime. He's got a lot of downtime to think, to reflect, to chill out, to refresh. So here's why I want you to see this. Elijah's depressed, and he gets some rest. He eats some food, and he gets exercise. Those are three things I tell every one of my clients struggling with depression. Isn't that kind of cool? Maybe God knows what he's doing, right? And so Elijah does this. He gets some time away to just refresh. And what I think is really important here, guys, is God doesn't get mad at Elijah for a mental health struggle. He doesn't get mad at him. He's like, hey, I can work with this. We can do something about this. And he cares for him. He has his angel Lord that could be the presence of God or it could be an angel, I'm not sure what, but it shows up and he cooks him breakfast. 
And he, and he does this. This is how he, he cares for him. Okay? And so eventually, he gets to Mount Sinai. So we have that Mount Carmel experience that we all want, where we are vindicated and something amazing happens, and there's this big power, this, this display of God. I think in the very first song, we talked about um, what's going to be like when... Um, the skies open up, right? Later, another song we talked about seeing God's glory. And a lot of times we might think of that as fire coming down from heaven, right? But here at Mount Sinai, we, some, we see something different. So he's there at Mount Sinai. And verse 11 says this. Go out and stand before me on the mountain, the Lord told him. And as Elijah stood there, the Lord passed by. And a mighty wind storm hit the mountain. It was such a terrible blast that the rocks were torn loose. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, there was a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there was a sound of a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And the voice said, what are you doing here, Elijah? Now, I want you to grasp this. The previous chapter, we have like this amazing, exciting display of God's power. And Elijah's vindicated. It's like this, it's, it's triumphal moment. But actually, right after that, Elijah crashes. On the next mountain, by the way, the same mountain where Moses spent 40 days getting the first set of Ten Commandments, on the same mountain, Elijah's there, and God shows up as a gentle whisper. I'll be honest. In most of my prayer life, I want the fire fall down. It's exciting. It is. It, it gets my ADHD attention, okay? It's exciting. I want people to know that God and Jeff are like this, so get out of his way. He's got a plan. Like, I, I, want, I want this. But Elijah needed a gentle whisper. Over here, there's this big event. There's excitement. But you know what? It doesn't lead to sustainment, this is really important. It doesn't lead to perseverance. We can't camp out in this land all the time. Our brains, our souls, our bodies can't do it. They're exciting, okay? But over here in Mount Sinai, there's like this gentle whisper from God. There's a conversation between God and his servant. There's like relational connection. God asks him, Elijah, what are you doing here? And Elijah goes on to explain to him, I'm here. I've been serving you. People aren't listening. Nothing matters. I'm alone. And so Elijah just lists with to God all the things that's bothering him. He's upset about. And God listens. And actually, God asked him twice the same question. So, so Elijah has time to get it out, right? I don't know, like, 
my poor wife has discovered that her husband likes to talk a lot. And sometimes I have to talk about it more than one time to get it out. Anybody else like me? You know, we're like, she's like, oh, here he goes again. Here's another cup of coffee. Talk it out, right? And so, and Elijah's talking it out. And God's listening. By the way, my notes are not numbered in order. I'm totally distracted. We're just going to have to go with it, okay? So, they came off the printer in a different order. They fell to the ground. I thought I numbered them right. I was wrong again. So here we go. So he's in Mount Sinai, and, and he's depressed. God has him, feeds him, has him sleep. He goes on exercise. He comes here, and Elijah discovers that the same God who can bring down fire from heaven and a massive display of his power and glory also can show up as a gentle whisper. I want you to know that the Mount Carmel experience, while exciting, doesn't sustain him. But at Mount Sinai, when he actually hears from the voice of God, it compels him to finish out his ministry life. By the way, in the New Testament, when Jesus is having a 40-day experience of being tempted on his own, Satan comes to him and Jesus replies back that man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word of God. Right? And so like this quiet, still voice is what sustains him. And interestingly here, when God gets a talk after Moses is done, God gives Moses three things. He gives him the next steps of what's going to happen. Like, I still got a plan, Elijah. It's not all lost. He actually tells Elijah what his role is going to be in this next step. He's going he's to go and um, anoint a king. He's actually going to go and anoint the next prophet who's going to replace him. And so Elijah's going from being key prophet to mentor to the next guy, Elisha. And God reminds Elijah that he's not alone. That there's a, he's like, I have already, I've set aside, I, f- I forgot the number because my notes are over there, but I have set aside like hundreds of prophets who are loyal to me. So it's interesting over here on Mount Sinai, Elijah gets a conversation with God and God addresses all of the emotional needs that he had because of the depression. He gives him purpose. He gives him hope. He lets him know he's not alone. And so we have these two mountains. We have this experience in Matthew 18, I mean, Kings 18 and Kings 19. And we have these in life. And so here's, as I thought about this, you guys, if you get a Mount Carmel experience, they don't happen often, but if they, you do, enjoy it. It is a great experience. When Nancy stacks it up for me, I will never forget that day the rest of my life, okay? And so if you have that Mount Carmel experience, enjoy it, embrace it. I also want you to be warned that right after that is when you are very vulnerable to temptation. Okay? You see this throughout all the kings of Israel. God does something great, and they're like, oh, great, I can stop doing my job. And then David gets into trouble, right? We see this pattern. And then emotionally and physically, our bodies are more vulnerable. So after that mountain high experience, enjoy it, but be prepared. If you guys go on a mission trip someday, that first week or two, don't be surprised if you're depressed when you come back. Okay, 
it is hard, okay? I don't know if Pastor Greg does this, but after I preach the next couple hours between 11 and 2, nobody should talk to me, okay? Because I am just like done. I'm going to go home, sit on the couch and watch football, okay? And pet my dog because I'm just like, ugh, okay? That's the pinus, babe, okay? And so, um, but we have like, after this experience, we're tired. We have to recover. And I want you to know that God can be a part of that recovery process. But I also want to challenge you guys. You need those Mount Sinai experiences, those conversations with God, where he doesn't necessarily show up on a pillar of fire, but he's a gentle voice where you talk to him and you listen to him and you connect with him because those are the things that sustain you. Those are the things that move you forward. Those are the things that help you recover from the ups and downs of life. So both are helpful, but I always challenge you that being with the presence of God is what is needed. That's what Elijah needed. He thought he needed the fire to tell everybody that he was right. He got that. He's depressed the next day. In presence with God, in connection with God, is what he needed. And so my challenge to you is to pursue this. If this happens, great. Enjoy it. Thank God for this. But pursue this. I'm going to pray. And then I think you're coming up. Dear God, we thank you for today. Thank you for your word. Lord, I'm not even sure why you had me here today, but I thank you for the opportunity. Lord, I do ask that you would help each one of us to pursue the Mount Sinai experience where we are alone with you. We hear your gentle voice, that we block out all the other noise and distractions so we can hear you. The reality is, God, that we experience your glory in your gentle voice also. Lord, I also want to thank you for the fact that you understand what it means to be human. You understood what Elijah experienced, the highs and lows and feeling depressed, and that you got him through it. And you addressed his needs. Lord, we thank you for that. And we also thank you and trust you that you will continue to do that for us in our life. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen.